Welcome to the Beck and Siri Show. I'm Beck. I'm Siri. And here at Team Series Tri Club, it's not just about swim, bike, run. It's about who you become. On our show, we don't just talk to you about swimming, cycling, and running. We talk about mindset. We talk about fearless authenticity and being your very best self. Hey, thanks for tuning in to Dan Plews and Siri's bonus chat. Dan is the founder of Endure IQ, coached Chelsea Sodaro to the 2022 Ironman World Championship win, the first American female to win in over 25 years. Hope you enjoy it. I'm Siri Lindley, two-time world champion, author, speaker, animal activist, survivor, and thriver. I have found a way to overcome every challenge and to take the impossible and make it possible. On my podcast, we're going to talk real life. We're going to get vulnerable. We're going to go first. You're not alone in your fears, your doubts, or your worries. The most successful people in the world have them. Stick with me on this journey. I will help you harness your power, claim your magic, and create the life that you dream of. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bedhead Chronicles. I am so excited to introduce to you the amazing Dr. Dan Plews, PhD, exercise physiology, world champion Ironman athlete and coach of world champions and founder of Endure IQ. Dan is coming off an enormous victory with his athlete, Chelsea Sodaro, being the first American woman in 25 years to win the Ironman world championship. So Dan, welcome from New Zealand on this Thanksgiving day. I am so grateful for you. Of course, it's Thanksgiving. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I totally, you see, in New Zealand, we don't, we, it's completely off the radar, right, Thanksgiving. But yeah, happy Thanksgiving. I should have said that, I should have said that at the start. Oh, no worries. And you know what? When I, I trained a lot in New Zealand, it's one of my favorite places in the world, in Christchurch, uh, New yeah. Zealand. And I remember I was there on Thanksgiving one year, and I went out and had this big, I forget what the name of the place was, but a big turkey sandwich, and that was my way of celebrating Thanks yeah. New Zealand. So whereabouts are you in New Zealand? I'm in Auckland. Yeah. Ah, so yeah. I mean, I'm originally from the UK, moved over here in 2011. So. And what brought you over to New Zealand from the UK? Um, so I was actually in Singapore. Um, I was living in Singapore at the time and I was working for the Singapore Sports Institute as a exercise physiologist. And the reason I came over was to start a PhD. So I got a scholarship working with High Performance Sport New Zealand. And I um, yeah came over, did a PhD, and it was like an industry-based PhD. So I was the performance physiologist for the New Zealand rowing team, um, and doing a PhD at the same time. So, yeah, unbelievable. Well, you have certainly achieved so much, not only in your career, and I'm sure it's only the beginning because you're a youngster still. <laughs> but also, as an athlete, I mean. I was in awe of your, it was 2018, right? The Ironman World Championships in Kona broke yeah. the age group course record, 8, 24, 36, I believe it was, which is insane. <laughs> and it was four years ago. So tell me, um, like, is, is sport a key thing? Is that more your hobby and your job is what matters most? Like, how do you have time to not only become a doctor and get your PhD and do all this amazing work as a coach, but also go that fast at the Ironman world championships. I think it's incredible. And I just would love to know more. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good question. I mean, at the time in 2018, I was, um, I was coaching Terenzo Bazzoni. Um, so yeah, so, you know, it, it was quite fortuitous because I was coaching him and I could just about keep up with him on most things, not in the pool, but you know, I could, so we kind of trained a lot together and that's, and it, it was just easy. And, and I get that question a lot. I think a lot of coaches will say, oh, you can't compete and, um, and coach at the same time. And it's definitely a very, very difficult thing to do. But at the same time, if you can be, I think you get such a better feeling for being on the road with an athlete, you know, when, you know, watching them, watching them move, being behind them, cycling, seeing how they go up hills. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. Um, so I think, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it just, it just worked well, really. And, um, and it's definitely, it's definitely proving to get harder and harder to train and train and coach at the same time. That's for sure. Particularly as I, I coach Javier Gomez and there's no way I'm keeping up with him or anything. So. <laughs> and you never know. I, be, I believe in you, Dan. And I love Javier Gomez as well. I mean, one of the things I love about you, and I wasn't going to go in this direction, but I'll just say is that athletes that you coach are just these phenomenal human beings. Mm. And so I'm going to ask a question I wasn't prepared to ask at this point, but you know, seeing that you have, you are coaching Javier Gomez and Chelsea Sodaro and Terenzo Bazzoni, all these truly um, incredible human beings. Like, do you attract that? Have you ever had an athlete come to you that you said yes, that you would coach that didn't share your same values? Um, no, no, I haven't really. Um, you know, Chelsea said something to me last week and she says, your vibe attracts your tribe. I don't know if you've ever heard that. And, uh, uh, yes, it does. Yes. Yeah. So, so maybe, maybe there's something to be said for that, but it's definitely a, a kind of overarching philosophy of mine is, and uh, in New Zealand, uh, the All Blacks, the rugby team, are quite famous. They have this, like, um, you know, one of their big mantras is a no dickheads policy. Don't know whether you heard of that, uh, but um, but it's kind of it's true. I try and hold that true with my philosophy as well. And it's not just for the pros; it's for a lot of the age groupers that I I coach as well. You know, I always do a bit of an interview process to make sure that you know they're kind of you know they're drinking from the same Kool Aid and they're they're good people because that's the you know, that's the most Im important thing is that you've got to surround yourself with people who you enjoy being around, you know? And, um, and I think even in training groups, I'm very selective of who else I would bring on because I have to think about the dynamic of, of that group as well. You know, I don't want it to be, um, a poisonous group and, and, you know, you can have, you can have a very good person, but put that person together with someone who doesn't gel that well, or isn't on the same vibe that can be great individually, but together it, it might not work out. So I think, um, so I think it's just about being mindful of those things all the time when you, for the coaching experience. Yeah, I agree with you 1 million percent. And I have, you know, in the history of my long career coaching, you know, I remember at one point having one athlete that could have been, you know, maybe the best athlete in the world, but if they weren't the right fit for the group, it's deciding, you know, rather than keeping this one person that could be unbelievable, I'd rather have everyone else, you know, race to their highest potential. And I think protecting your culture in that way, as far as, you know, keeping everyone that is in your group shares your values and has that attitude that you want that attitude that brings out the best in everyone is just so incredibly important so um amazing what you've done and, and back to what you're saying about you know racing and coaching um 
I always have kind of encouraged my own athletes to coach because I feel like when you're telling someone else, giving them the best advice, you tend to give yourself better advice. You know, yeah. I don't know you as an athlete, you know, the things that I get frustrated with sometimes with my athletes, you know, they have a day off and they think they've lost all their fitness and that one day off. And it's like, what? That's just crazy. That's you've lost all perspective. But I remember being that way yeah. as an athlete as well. But as a coach, you simply can't fool yourself because you know what the truth is. So um, I think it actually can make you a better athlete for for that matter but i guess what yeah for sure and I, and I also think you like i haven't done an ironman in since 2018 and i haven't really done i've done like 170.3 and I did, which i did in 2020 um and but i've started i decided after i was after i turned 40 in october and um chelsea just won kona and i was all motivated and i thought well ironman new zealand was on the 10th of december so i thought oh you know let's let's do a short build and see how we go and it's amazing how much you, you know, so I haven't trained properly in a very long time. I've always kept pretty fit, you know, I've always been active, but I haven't, there's a big difference between like just training as you want and actually training to do well at something because suddenly you're exceptionally tired, you know, you're doing really, especially for an Ironman, you're doing five hour bricks and yeah. all this kind of thing. And, and you forget, I had forgotten how tired you feel, you know, after... Yeah. After you do on a Saturday, you know, I might go out and do a five hour brick and then I'm absolutely exhausted. And then I've got a three year old and a five year old to try and um, entertain. And it's really, really hard to have to say. And it's really, you know, and, and um, it's a completely different thing. When I was training for Kona, um, my little girl, she was a newborn. So she was, you know, less than a year old. She turned she turned one the day after the race, actually. Um, but it was quite it was a lot easier because. She's quite, you know, they don't really do much, but now five and three. Oh my God. Um, yeah, it's different, different story. Yeah. They want you running them around the block, riding bikes probably and, and all of that. So how do you manage your time? I mean, how, how do you prioritize everything that matters so much to you every day? Um, I guess it's just um, about, you know, I always, I mean, me and Chelsea have the saying, there's a make the most important thing, the most important thing. And, and I'll always, um, you know, my, my my whole life is around family and my kids, right? And that's the reason that I, I have a job, you know, so I can, I mean, the main reason is I, I love my job, but the reason I do it is because I want to provide and give them the best life they can have. So, you know, I'll always try and prioritize that. And then, I mean, second to that at the moment, so it's firstly family, then at the moment, it's, it's like balance counterbalance. So at the moment, I would say my training's kind of in front of my work almost, but, you know, it's just for this short period of time. And then once the race is done, then I'll counterbalance it the other way and kind of go the other way. Because I, I don't think you can, um, I mean, life's about that, right? It's about balance and counterbalance. You can't, you can't prioritize everything all at the same time. And sometimes things are more important than other things. At the moment, I've got a race very close, just two weeks away. So that's my main focus at the moment. But once it's done, I'll then just shift the other way. But I guess the always, the guiding North Star is always family, but then it's, where you whether it's training or work or socializing um i was talking to my wife last night and you know i said to her there's only it's very clear that there's only room for three things in your life so you can have training work and family and like obviously i'm doing zero socializing at the moment and yeah. my, i was talking to my friend the other day or yesterday i'm like i'm sorry I, you know i haven't seen you i haven't come i haven't been in touch but 
I will. When's, when's, let me just get this done and then I'll, you know, then we'll catch up again, you know, just kind of because you can't, you just can't do it all. So three things is, is kind of all you can manage. I totally agree with you. And it's, and that's right. It's like, you know what, if this is what I'm after, then this is just going to have to take a back seat for a while. Mm. And how is, um, how are the preparations going for Ironman New Zealand? Yeah, they've gone really, really well, actually. I mean, I, um, I've surprised myself, to be honest, um, how quickly I've kind of come up, but you, you never know with an Ironman, it's, you, you, you can look good on paper in training, but it, if you haven't got that chronic, that kind of chronic base, it can find you out a little bit, but we'll see. I mean, I mean, I'm not expecting, I'm not expecting the world, but I'm hoping that I might have i I'll enjoy it and at least have a good training day, you know? And so. you never know. I mean, I've seen over the years, sometimes the athletes that are going in underprepared, if anything, mm. And they're just kind of taking a chance at going to race. I mean, sometimes the best performances have come out of that. Now, you know all the science behind everything. I don't know if you know about me, but don't use gadgets. Don't use yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know this. Yeah, yeah. So you probably think I'm insane. And, you know, I'm someone that I just love people's differences. I love yeah. that there's, you know, five different ways to get to the top. And, um, but I am you know, fascinated by all that you know. And one thing that I have kind of been paying more attention to, because after I had my bone marrow transplant um, to overcome leukemia, AML, thank God I'm cancer-free, I'm thriving, everything's great. But I started wearing this whoop. And it's yeah. the only gadget I've ever kind of worn in, in my life. And that being said, with my athletes, they do use power. I don't allow them to look at it. I use the data to help me plan their training, but I just don't want their heads, you know, judging themselves every minute of every session. But for me, I started wearing this whoop and obviously I had to start paying attention to my HRV. And what happened, which was actually kind of terrifying is after my transplant, I mean, my HRV was like 18. And now, you know, the highest it gets is like 45. I feel amazing, mm -hmm. but, I would love to ask you personally, you know, after something like that, and I don't know how much you know about things like transplants and stuff, but your HRV being affected by something like that. So basically I have the immune system of a two-year-old right now, two and a half year old. Um, now I would think because your HRV kind of um, gets lower and lower as you get older that I should have this like HRV of 120 or whatever it is, but, um, Tell me about the importance of HRV and how integral that is for you, for not only your own training, but for the training of your athletes. Yeah. Um, so, hey, so, so give a bit of background on what HRV is first. Yes, please. <laughs> um, yeah, so, variability for yeah. everyone, but I am not the one. This is why we have Dan here. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so H HRV, it's, um, it's basically... It looks at your autonomic nervous system. So there's two sides to your autonomic nervous system. There's a sympathetic side, which is kind of fight or flight, more of a stress response. And then there's your parasympathetic side, which is more rest and digest and kind of a, more of a relaxation state. And it's it's called the sympathovagal balance. That's It's not like there's one on and one off. It's kind of like this balancing seesaw. So if you're more parasympathetic, so you're more rest and digest, you're by default more less sympathetic and vice versa. 
And the reason HRV is useful is because it gives you insight into what you're predominantly at a given time. So if you're a higher degree of variability, so it's looking at the gap between heartbeats. So the more that gap is varying, the more parasympathetic activity there is, and the less that gap is varying, the more sympathetic activity is. So when we exercise, people will know that the heartbeat is very, very regular. So it's it's very consistent, almost like the beating of a very consistent drum. But if you're at rest, it's it's a, it's a little bit less regular. You can sometimes feel that you know the gaps between the beats isn't isn't exact. So if we're at sixty rp um, sixty beats per minute it doesn't mean the gap between every beat is one second. It's actually varying all the time. And the reasons that's interesting, because then we can start to get an insight into from a health perspective, you know, we don't want to be stressed all the time, you know, with the, with the world that's going on around us, there's, you know, we have work stress, family stress, all these kinds of things. It's not, it's very bad for our health. And, and HRV came around originally. It was, it was bought, in a more medical sense for all cause mortality to and it was really very highly linked to cardiovascular diseases and even other things like high blood glucose which is also linked to cardiovascular diseases so we want to be more parasympathetic from a, a health standpoint right. my um my phd looked at um how you can use hrv to track um positive and negative adaptations to training yeah. And like, I think like when it comes to me, like, obviously I'm quite scientific in my approach to training and, and I always think that the most important things to get if you're a coach is that you have to understand the stimulus and then the other side, you have to understand the response. So you can't have one of those in isolation. You can't only have the response and you can't only have the stimulus because Unless you unless you're looking at both the things things you have no idea what's going on. So on the stimulus side, you know you're looking at making sure the training is correct. It's um, very specific to the event. It's very specific to the individual and their requirements. So if that's correct and training loads where it needs to be and it's increasing and they're getting and there's like the chronic training loads increasing gradually, you can be sure that that's really good. But on the other side, you then need to know is are they adapting properly to the training? And if those two things are in place, you can almost 99%, apart from there's a bit of mentality, a mental game when it comes to racing, you can be 99% certain that, that they're going to be getting fitter and they're going to be improving. And that's um, and that's how you I use HRV, but it has to be in conjunction with what's training. It's always, I always, I always tell um, my athletes and all the coach, I coach a lot of coaches, I always say context before content. So what's the context of what the content is? It's the same in training, it's the same in the, the response as well. Amazing. Okay, you just explained that so beautifully. And in that, where, how much emphasis do you put on perceived exertion? Is that something that are you, you know, so for me, I want to know, you know, how hard does pushing 200 watts in this moment yeah, feel? Yeah, 100%. For you? And, and I don't think, um, I don't think it's ever in isolation. And when I think of exercise intensity prescription, I mean, you can, you can get even more I mean, you can get as detailed as you like, but I mean, I use power. I, I, I like to think of what I call the Holy Trinity, which is power, heart rate and RPE and feel. I so like it's like the, the father, the son and the Holy ghost with the father being the power, the son being the heart rate, and then the Holy ghost being the, the kind of the feel. So you it's never that you're, you're you're kind of always tuning in and titrating what you're doing based on all three things. 
you don't just go, I'm just going to go on feel, or I'm just going to go on power because, you know, at the start of an Ironman, you can often feel really, really good and it feels really easy. But if you're, if you're then running out, uh, you know, your target pace to run a marathon is, you know, a, a good target would be 240, for example, but you're running out at 220 pace because it feels good. It's not going to end well for you, no yeah. matter how good you feel, oh. you know, so... Yeah. So exactly. you need to, you need to, um, you need, everything needs to be a bit more balanced between, between those three things. Yeah. And I, and I love that. I think that's such a great analogy. Father, son, and Holy Ghost, those three things together is everything that you need. You can't, I don't, I, I don't feel like you could have the two without the perceived exertion part to it, but obviously. And it, it just depends on, depends on who you are. I mean, obviously for you, your, your father will probably be the effort, like the RPE, right. right? And then you've got the other two that would be less of a player, but it's just on, depends on what floats your boat and how you prescribe your training, you know, and, and what, and how your athletes tick, you know? Now, how do you, Dan, I'm going to ask you this personally, I feel like so many athletes can get so wrapped up in the numbers that they lose themselves sometimes in the judgment of it all. You know, the moment they start seeing, for example, you know, my HRV has been so low for the last two weeks, you know, what's wrong with me? Suddenly there's a problem. And I believe that sometimes, you know, it becomes a problem because you label it one, right? Mm -hmm. And that creates even more stress and then things start going downhill from there. How do you, and, and how much time do you spend um, with yourself and with your athletes on the mindset aspect, you know, how they're framing things, you know, in the middle of like the biggest, hardest training block, how they're framing how they feel, you know, how an athlete can be in the biggest, like heaviest training block. And they're like, Oh my God, I'm so tired. It's like, yes, you're in a big, huge training block right now. You're going to be tired. This is what you should be feeling now. So how do you manage that? And, and how much of your work as a coach, um, are you discussing mindset matters and how much with yourself are you working through that kind of stuff? Yeah. I mean, when it, when it comes to numbers, I was actually going to, I was thinking about this the other day because in all my experience with working with athletes, there seems to be this, there's like this continuum where if, if, in terms of knowledge and how you deal with numbers, I feel like, like the people who athletes who don't know very much at all, I really easy to deal with when it when it comes to numbers. But then, as you get into kind of people who know enough to be dangerous, it becomes a bit of a problem. You know, they get too over obsessed with the numbers. But then, when you get someone like me, I know so much about it. Then I get on the other side of it, and I'm not, and it's kind of simple to me, and I'm not as yeah. obsessed with it. You know, and it's like it's like this. One of my my PhD supervisor, he 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 said to me that when we study anything, it's always this idea of simple complex simple so we come up with an idea it's really a simple idea then you look into it and you go oh my god that's really complicated and then you can get to the other side and you realize that you can make it quite simple again but yeah. it's like with the athletes sticking this complex area it can be a little bit of a, a problem and they overanalyze and and that's where i guess it's good to have a coach who can help them kind of you know so if they have a coach that they trust and they know they who knows a lot about it, you know, they trust you when you say, don't worry about it. It's fine because of this, this, and this. So that's always helpful. Um, but on the mindset side, I mean, I, the main things I really work on with, uh, I mean, it's different for different athletes, depending on what they need at the time. But if it's like, say specifically Chelsea, you know, I think it's, um, you know, we work a lot, a lot on gratitude, things that she's grateful for. 
and and um you know and yeah, yeah 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 t-shirt yeah <laughs> so you know. yeah yeah and um and just being um and just enjoying the process i think yes. that's that's the most that's the most important thing when i wrote um when i won kona in 2018 i wrote a blog that was called like kona gems or something one of the things i wrote in it was all about um enjoying the process yeah. and i think that if you that's the main thing I try and get make athletes who are training realize that it's not you just got to enjoy training enjoy being fit enjoy the process and then everything else literally will just take care of itself you don't you know that's the that's the main mindset if you're enjoying the process and you're happy um yeah everything everything's sorted when I was at when I worked with Rome in New Zealand I, had, we, I worked with a um an athlete and she was you know, she eventually would actually came olympic champion but you know there was such a strong relationship between her happiness and her performance it was crazy you know if she wasn't happy she wouldn't go well and i think it's i mean some in some people it's stronger than others but for most it's yeah it, it's that way around yeah so i knew i was gonna love you so much because this is i mean how i live my life it's it's you know just recognizing the gift of just number one being here you know every mm. single breath is a gift what you do with it that's a gift and you know whether you're winning or losing you're always learning and in the losses and the failures we're learning something that's going to help us become what we want to become but i want to touch upon what you just said because i've had a lot of athletes um with the same thing where they were happy if they were winning but not every athlete can win so is it really going to take you winning a race for you to be happy? Because if that is what it's going to take, then I don't think this is for you. We need to, we either need to change your rules around what it takes for you to feel successful or you need to go do something else. And for me, I mean, what I try and um, get people to focus on is, is that, you know, success is progress, isn't it? Isn't yeah, exactly, success yeah. just, being a little bit better than you were the day before, whether yeah. that be physically, mentally, or emotionally. But one of the things that I was so inspired by with Chelsea is, you know, especially as it became clear in the, in her talks after winning the world championships is she didn't go in, you know, comparing herself to others from what I hear, comparing herself to others or wondering, you know, how they're doing, how fast they can go. It was all about her. She had had this amazing, you know, she'd had the birth of her child. She has you as her amazing coach, her amazing family, everybody supporting her. And she just wanted to go out and race her race and, you know, do the best that she could. And for my athletes that have won in Kona, Miranda Carfrey, as you know, and Leanda Cave, you know, both of them, same thing, of course, they want to go. They want to, you know, go faster than anyone else. But the key was that they were just racing their race. And that's all that mattered. They couldn't think about where anyone else was at any given point in time. But in that, is that something that she innately had? Or is that something that you worked on together, the importance of racing her own race? Um, I think, I think, um, I think both really. I mean, we were very, very specific over what she had to do in the race in terms of numbers and heart rates and and what and what she had to hold. And and I think 
and that's the cool thing about Iron Man is you can only do what you can do, really. You, you know, it's, it's it's such a long race. You you know, over an Olympic distance, you can play a bit more of a tactical game, and you can you can race, but you can't play someone else's game. Otherwise, it's just gonna you're just gonna come undone. And and that's and that's all we did is that you know I said to hold this power on the bike. These are the kind of heart rates you should be looking at. Um, you know conserve your energy as much as you can if if you can if you can be behind legally you know behind someone and you can ride at less power and conserve your energy brilliant um and then on the run you know run this for the first 10k run this for the second 10k this 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 you know and, and um i'm we were, i'm lucky that like with the training i had a very good idea of what i thought she was capable of so we, you know we had a pretty good race plan in place you know and also the nutrition and everything and it's just like you can just oh yeah it's the same as the training you just fo focus on the process during the race of power pace nutrition yeah. and what more can you do really this i mean she was very nervous before but i said to her what, what have you got to be nervous about you know all you can do is do all you do is do what do this that's all you do follow 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 the instructions <laughs> you, do what you do every day right yeah. And, yeah. but don't you feel like a little bit of nervousness is good like would you worry yeah and, and but i think i think it's like always it's unavoidable right you totally. you know it's, you just can't help it so i think but but calming nerves is always a good thing because the nerves are always uh high anyway right so right yeah. and it's the meaning you give it you know i remember i mean racing but also now if i'm going to give a speech like my heart's pounding and my hands are shaking i'm yeah. sweating and instead of saying oh my god i'm a mess i'm a wreck what's gonna happen it's like okay i'm ready like these are yeah. the that i'm ready i think you know i, I said to, she said to me before the race and i said oh nerves nerves just mean something um exciting is about to happen yes i love that dan now yeah. how close did you come with what you felt she could do and what she actually did on the day and and along with that how did you account for the conditions like if if i mean something that that i always think about when it comes to heart rate is how can you determine you know how hot it's going to be is it just the experience that you've had at your training camps where you've trained in those conditions before so you know that the heart rate's going to be around this range and that's okay I, I know I'm asking like 20 million questions in one, but from the beginning, how close did you come? How close did she come to what you felt she could do? Yeah. Um, so we, 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 we had a training camp out there not long before. So you can, I had training data from Kona. So that always helps. So I can exact, you know, like exact numbers and exact paces that I know she'd done in training. Um, I mean, and before the race, you know, I don't really talk about other athletes very much, but before races with my pros, I'll always ask them to give me, um, you know, give me, the, you know, for the swim, give me the best, the, the, the best, the likely and the worst case scenario. Same with the bike, the best, the likely, the worst case scenario. So, you know, and, you know, the the swim, she 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 started off on a good foot because the best case scenario was in the swim. She came out with the swimmers that we said would be the best case scenario. So that was ideal. Um, so that was kind of one job done. And then um, on the bike, we had power numbers that I knew she could hold out there. You know, she'd done it a thousand times out there be before. Um, and obviously the thing about heart rate is heart rate 
is um, it's stagnant. So it's a physiological stress, right? So um, your comment about the heat, if you're if it's hotter, your heart rate will be higher, but you'll just be going slower. So if you have a heart rate as a guide, you can, that's why the three is important. So if your heart, if you, I mean, on the day, Chelsea said the heart rate was going up a little bit more than she expected. So her power ended up being a little bit lower than what we thought it would be, but she was titrating it with the heart rate. So she's like, oh, you know, and this is the, that's where the whole, the three things come together. So she did a great job of kind of using the three together, but you never know what time that's going to give at the time and obviously she did a very good bike split even with the power that that she did so that was um so that was great I and mean, we did a lot of work with her aerodynamics massive amounts of work which made a huge difference and then on the run um i said to her before that she'll run between 250 and 255 with the training data that she'd done and um yeah and, and that was that was the end of that and as soon as she as she when she came on to the run i was pretty um confident that she she was likely going to win from there yeah um, but i was probably the only person thinking it at the time but um, oh um but God. i kind of i kind of i i i knew that she'd run between 250 and 255 she was three and a half minutes down on daniella and lucy and they weren't going to be running much faster than three hours so mm -hmm. i was i thought um it was game on but you never know what's going to happen of course but yeah oh my god i mean it was I don't know why I was so emotional at the finish line for her. It was just, mm -hmm. you could feel, um, it was just, I think it was such an inspiring performance. I remember I was texting back and forth with Marinda saying, Oh my God, is she going to get the record? Is she going to get the, the run record? And I was like, I don't know. I think you're going down today, Rennie, <laughs> you know, because she just, and I don't know. I think it was very close, but, um, it was still it was, two minutes, I think. Two minutes? Uh, I don't think it was a full two minutes. No, I think it was more like a minute something. Although Rennie will kill me if it was two minutes. But anyways, it was so incredibly inspiring from start to finish. And just her, her laser focused. You could tell in watching her that she wasn't reacting to anyone. She was just doing her thing. And to me, I just find that so incredibly inspiring because that's what I hope for all my athletes to be able to do on race day. Now, were you afraid that she was going to beat your time? Um, or did you want her to? Was it like, please, come on, you can do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I wasn't fussed either way, really. But um, I mean, she, when she, it wasn't when she came off the bike, it wasn't going to happen because she did the same bike and the same. She, she was ten minutes slower on the bike, and then it was um, the same swim. So she would have had to run. She would have had to smash Winnie's time. Would have been had to run a two forty. Yeah, yeah, right, two forty. Oh my god. <laughs> Um, but how helpful was that knowing that here you have this athlete that, you know, was going to be within, say, 15 to 20 minutes from your best time, like you're because you're thinking how fast she can go and could be around your time. Was that helpful to go back to your own training and do some of those same sessions, look for some of the same, you know, uh, like power and paces knowing that she was going to be in that range was that helpful for you or did you yeah, i mean it is, it is definitely it definitely wasn't a hindrance i mean we didn't i mean this is such a different athlete to to me we didn't really do that many of the same sessions yeah. um but we did i did do a couple which um when there was in kona just to give me a little bit more of a guidance and it was really helpful i mean when i 
when I did that time in 2018, I, you know, I was two minutes faster than Danny Yeller when she broke the women's course record. So, you know, it, it definitely it gives you an idea of what yeah. what's going on. You know, it's definitely it certainly helps for sure. And how about like, I mean, with my athletes, even if you just take Rennie and Leander, the way they trained for the Ironman World Championships was totally different from each other because they were built differently. They needed different things. Like how different do you train, you know, Javi versus Chelsea or Toronto yeah. versus your yeah. athletes? So, so when it comes to like the, the primary builds, um, you know, like that like competition just before competition, not that much. I, I don't think it, I don't, the chain, the differences aren't that great because I mean, my, my belief is that most triathlon training, most coaches get it wrong with the specificity. So they don't, they're not specific enough to the event. The training is not, and that's what you really need. It needs to be the duration. Um, so specificity means to be both in duration and intensity. You can, people get the intensity right. They generally get the duration wrong. You know, they're just not going quite long enough. Um, or bringing the sessions close enough together yeah. so in that build out build period quite similar um i mean obviously the small differences between how many key sessions you can get in into a seven day or a 10 day period like you know i know that there's no way i can get three big days into chelsea over seven days where i probably could get three big ones into heavy over over a seven day period so it's it's more just managing kind of the the weekly budget that they've got within themselves in terms of what they can handle um but then in the in the earlier stages then there's quite different things so in the early stages my usual usually what i do is i get them in the lab i have an idea of um what i where they need to be at certain times in terms of their physiology and then where the gap is i'll kind of plug it with the right training to kind of close the gap towards the to the event so in the early stages it can be quite different but towards the race it's very much the same well similar yeah. amazing and how i mean chelsea's the first pregnant female you coached how did you was that a, a challenge that you got super excited about did you already have knowledge in that area like i mean that was big to take that on and you crushed it yeah yeah um I mean, I had no prior experience, that's for sure. Apart from my, my wife, um, I mean, my wife's not an athlete, but you know, I've experienced a pregnancy. I kind of, I've experienced two pregnancies and my, my, the take that I got from those two was, man, they're very different. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right? her, her response to the first versus the second was totally different, like wildly, wildly apart. So uh, that's the kind of the, the approach I took with Chelsea because you can read all you like, but in the end of the day, it's a hormonal, it's very individual. So you've got to, you have to just take an individualized approach to how you cope with, with the athlete, which means communication, looking at some data and, and changing the training as they see fit. You know, if she's got a bite session, but she's had morning sickness all for the last two days, then obviously it's got to change. And that's kind of the, the approach I took. It was, you know, I loved, I'd love to say, cause I've been asked this question a lot and I'd really love to have, kind of a written down systematic approach for ladies who are pregnant and then coming back. But honestly, it was just, uh, I kind of winged it in a way, just, yeah. but just communicated and did my best that I possibly could at the time. You know? Well, you did amazing. So that's awesome. And I was going to actually ask, did your wife help as far as, you know, witnessing her 
But I mean, the fact that she could have two totally different pregnancies must have been for you just the information you needed, which is, you know what, we got to take it day by day. Yeah, exactly. And it's not, I mean, obviously, like, we're at that age where I've had, um, you know, a lot of a lot of our friends are pregnant with pregnant at the same time. And, you know, just talking to other dads and talking to other mums, and it's just, it's just so individual, it's yeah. so individual. So this is the only way you can, it's the only way you can take it you just have to be very um very um fluid with the way you approach the training and you know we did a great job at keeping a very very fit on a structured program for a very long time until eventually it was just too much you know and it, she said i said okay you know the last the last like four six weeks i was like okay, you know now you 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 do what you need to do um just try and swim every day try and keep your pelvic floor exercises going and and that's it really so yeah amazing now you speak a lot about the importance of diet and nutrition is that something also that is varied between athletes because of our differences or is there can you share what you believe is the best kind of diet for optimizing performance yeah, I mean, it depends on the event. Um, if you're talking about long distance triathlon, I, I believe that substrate utilization is of utmost importance. And that means, you know, being able to use fat as a fuel yes. to a, a very high intensity and um, use it very well. So that means both in terms of maximal fat oxidation and where you use that in terms of power and paces, because the more you can preserve what we call like endogenous carbohydrate stores. So your internal carbohydrate store, stores, the better it is for that event, because end of the day, it's an energy balance equation that you're working with in Ironman triathlon. So that's why efficiency is hugely important. So running economy, aerodynamics is one side. And then the other side is fuel utilization. So what you're putting in versus what you're using. So, and I believe that, um, so it depends on the athlete, like age group athletes, I'll always I find that because they don't train as much as pros, um, I push them more towards a lower carbohydrate diet. Um, whereas with pros and athletes who are training a lot, I'll use more of a right fuel, right time approach, which is restricting carbohydrates at some periods of time for like longer, low intensity, but then adding them back in at the right periods of time for recovery and, um, and higher intensity exercise. Amazing. And you with um, Endora IQ, you offer that kind of um, coaching and guidance. Yeah. So we've got a course that's LDT 101. So um, I did when I won Kona in 2018, I did it and I still am. I still I still hold a very low carbohydrate diet. So that's around 130 to 150 grams a day. And it works really well for me in terms of my performance. It works. It means that my weight's very stable, even when I'm around training um, and energy level. So I, and, and because people knew this about me when I won, I got a gazillion questions, about it, you know, and people wanted to know the approach. And I think that, you know, with that, the devil is in the detail and there's a lot of confusion online around um, low carbohydrate diets and the difference between ketogenic and low carbohydrates and then how you can optimize it in training but then you obviously you have to do something different for competition you don't um you know you don't eat avocados and just um, olive oil when you're racing right i mean this is not what this is not the way to do it you have to balance the equation you want to increase your fat oxidation but then use carbohydrates as you need it so 
off the back of so many questions, I um, built LDT 101, which is our low carbohydrate course. Um, and we've had like nearly a thousand people through it now. Amazing. And, um, yeah. And it's, it's been amazing. And, and we, you know, at the time I was like, oh, this is so annoying. I'm just going to do a course to, so I can get people off my back. But my friend said, oh, well, you should do it properly. You may as well start a business and do it through that. And then you know, four courses down the line, we have a we have a training squad, lots of coaches, and it's kind of it's grown much bigger than I ever thought it was going to grow to. So, yeah, really happy. I think that's absolutely incredible. Congratulations. And it's needed. I mean, yeah. I feel, you know, for all the athletes I coach and athletes that I know, I would recommend this to all of them to figure this aspect of it out because you look at Kona and people that think they can go into that race without a specific plan are in for a, not a fun day because uh, yeah. I believe that that can be the one thing you can be in the form of your life but you don't hit that right and it's over so yeah I, I totally agree and and it's and if you look at like a race like Kona like what, what I always see when I go and watch these races, I always saw three like major problems. Number one is bonking, obviously, like running out of energy. You know, it either happens last 40k of the bike or even, you know, halfway through the marathon happens to probably, you know, 80% of the people totally. who are racing. Yeah. Um, another one that I think is interesting is that you often have a lot of age group athletes who are training 20 hours a week. And they look like a sedentary person. They've got the same adipose tissue, same levels of body fat as someone who's not training. And I'm like, how is that even possible? You know, clearly there's something going on hormonally. And then the last is that they get gastrointestinal distress and they don't finish. You know, it's the number one reason for DNF is that they have, they're trying to follow some massively high carbohydrate guidelines, taking 90 grams an hour, just because they heard that that's what Christian Blumenfeld does or, or whatever, you know, and it and it, it's just not needed when, when you've got someone who's like Christian Blumenfeld, who's probably doing 310 watts versus an age group who's doing 200 watts. Think of the difference in calories per minute. It's totally different. So yeah, you have yeah. to, um, so I think, you know, those three things can all be answered. Those problems, all those three problems can all be answered with the correct lower carbohydrate diet. So, um, and that's what we, we bring out in the course and we tell, you know, these are your three problems. These are how to solve it. So. You guys, I, I'm telling everyone here, don't be silly and not do this. I yeah. mean, I mean, truly, I think, especially with a world championship race, what would you say are the three key things to do well in a race like Kona? The three uh, key things. Three key things. Obviously, it's consistent training. Um, no, number one is um, being, you know, training day in, day out, being consistent, not getting injured. I think for Kona, you have to take the heat seriously. You know, so if you don't do something very, um, very specific towards your heat preparation and acclimation, you may as well not bother showing up. And then um, number three is, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's even necessarily for Kona. It's just the fact that it's an Ironman. You have to take care of your substrate utilization. You have to make sure that you're, you can balance the energy equation. And you can you can you can think of both sides of the coin in that you can either take in a lot of carbohydrates or you can take less carbohydrates and increase your fat metabolism. 
for me, the safest is to always take less carbohydrates and increase your fat metabolism because the moment you start really cramming up to 90 grams an hour, you have to use a mix of both fructose and glucose. That then becomes more like you're on the you're on the knife edge then of gastrointestinal distress and everything else. And I just don't think it's as good for your health generally. So yeah. Oh my God, this is such amazing advice. What would you say, Dan? are, and you can think of your own career as an athlete as well, are the biggest kind of saboteurs of performance that athletes get caught up in? Um, I think um, many athletes put too much pressure on themselves to do well, I think. Um, and they get, they get in their own head a little bit um, before racing. And you see it because those athletes are the ones who are doing stupid things before a race. You know, suddenly they're tinkering with their bike the day before the race, or they go out and do a run much harder than they should. Almost like they're making, I almost see it as like they're making um, a reason not to have a good race. They're, they're oh creating, my God. yes, they're create, creating the reason to not not have a good race. I think that's um, self sabotage. Yeah, yeah. I think that's I think that's one one thing. Um, and then the, the other is. Um, is not having a clear process for racing and or deviating from that. There's so many people who, who, who have a plan and deviate from it. It's um, that's a cool thing about the cool thing about um, Ironman. And I said this, uh, I said this to Chelsea, I wrote her an email before the race, you know, just kind of itemizing what we, you know, the plan. And I said, you know, you can be guaranteed that, 70%, you know, 30% of the people, even in the pros, are going to stuff up their race because they're going to do something stupid. Yeah. But if you do this, you just follow follow the plan, um, you'll be sweet. So it's about make most people, lots of athletes will often um, deviate from the plan for some crazy reason, you know, and um, they lose their head and then that's the end of it. Oh my God. It just brings up these feelings of stress because when I've seen that happen to athletes, it's just, it's, it's heartbreaking. I've done it myself as an athlete, but you learn the hard way. And I think, you know, that deviating from the plan also, I think can be, you know, you have this plan. You, you, once you, once you get a coach, you go all in, right? It's 1 million percent. I'm going to listen to what you say, Dan, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. I'm going to believe in your philosophy and that's going to take us to the top but if i go in with you and then you know in the weeks leading up to the race no you should be doing this instead you know i would do a little less than what dan's telling you to do and if i go and do that that i feel is always you know complete self-sabotage because there may be four or five different ways to get to the very top but that does not include doing a little bit of each of those four different ways of doing it right yeah well you know the and i know i know some age group is that age groupers who um you know they have must have more than one coach and i think that's so problematic because yeah. then they start they start cherry picking what they want you know and um yeah that that's always that's always a problem um, oh my god so question for you um you know you've obviously had massive victories in your career as an athlete world champion breaking the course record what was the more significant experience you winning the world championship or chelsea yeah this is this is a great question and um i was talking to javi about this and it was actually i had more feelings from chelsea than i did for myself 
And it was actually a very, you know, because like as an athlete and as someone who's done it all my, you know, you kind of, why, what, am I going to stop doing this? And will I get the same satisfaction out of, of, of the career? And it, and it was such, I mean, I've never really experienced it before. I've never had an athlete win in Kona. And, um, you know, it was very evident that I got more satisfaction from Chelsea winning than I did from, from me doing well. I mean, I mean, I was, a, it's only an age group race. I mean, obviously it's important to me at the time and, it, and I got great satisfaction out of it, but I got way more satisfaction out of, um, out of Chelsea and it, and it made me realize that I don't actually need to compete anymore. I enjoy it, but I don't need to, I don't really need to do it as long. I need to be fit and I need to have passion for my, the work that I do. And those two things are are enough in terms of business sense. Absolutely incredible. I mean, I just, yeah, I mean, when Rini won her first world championship, I was blown away at how emotional and how I just felt like I was walking on a cloud for months. Yeah, 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 I felt, I mean, I had, um, like, it was a, like, when, when she won, like, my, I had Kate and my kids were all around and, you know, and then, and when and then they just went out of the house and I, it was actually just like trying to kind of reset myself was yeah. it was amazing you know just i just cleaning the house and being normal and just trying to kind of just get myself into into a normal into a normal feeling um but yeah it's um it was a quite it was actually quite an important realization for me because for a long you know i always wondered if i'd ever really want to stop but i think you know, now I've, I've just turned 40, as I said at the start, and I think my, I'm clear that I'll probably do maybe this Ironman and see how it goes. And if it goes well and I can do a short build, I'll do one more on a fast course. And yeah. then I'll probably will stop until oh, maybe I might take it up again when I'm a lot older. Because my kids are, you know, five and three at the moment. And I, I really want to have, I really don't want to train as much because it takes yeah. a lot of time away until until at least they get to you know, double digits till the you know because at the moment they think I'm pretty cool they think dad's pretty awesome and that's oh, not going to last you know, that's not going to last forever wait till they get to like teenagers they're not going to think I'm that cool anymore so you're going to make the most of it right so amazing so what I mean you've achieved so much in your life thus far and like I said you're a youngster you're ten years younger than me but <laughs> is there anything else that you dream of doing that's not even related to any of this like do you have any big dreams that still are pulling at you that you may take on in the future um not not really i don't think i have any any big dreams that aren't related to this i mean obviously i mean i want to um i mean i'm very fortunate that with what I've done with Enduro IQ, I've created kind of my own, um, I can manage my own time. And that to me is the most important thing. And because if I can manage my own time, I can spend time with family and I can spend time, I can have quality time. And that's, that's really important to me. Um, but yeah, there's no, there's no, I, I mean, I love achieving and I love doing the things I'm, I do, like, which is, you know, if, if I think about all the things I have going on, it's, helping athletes either as a coach or a physiologist it's research i have like phd students and that's you know there i get such satisfaction out of research and helping my phd students and i just like to continue doing the the same things that i enjoy doing and like i think i'm very fortunate that i i'm excited for my alarm to go off every morning to to wake up and um and start and get to get to start my day and do the things that i enjoy doing 
and um yeah the one I, I i think you know my big goal is to one year one day have you know a male and a female winner at kona in the same the same year that would be a it's kind of a bit of a secret hobby it could have been hobby right yeah it could have been well yeah we'll see i mean i think like Javi was in such good shape this year before i mean before he got covid and it's been a crazy year because that was ultimate disappointment you know you talk about these ask me the feelings i had when chelsea won like i had the lowest of lows like i was injured myself like when Javi had covid because he was in the most amazing shape and i i really think he would be a world champion by now you know um christian would probably disagree with me but like he was just in the way that race unfolded and the shape he was in i really think he would have been very hard to beat um so so but um yeah it's all hearsay right but um yeah it is kind of i would like to hopefully try and achieve that well i he's the kind of athlete i mean i've seen him training in new south australia years ago when i was running camps out there and i just think he is one of those athletes that definitely has what it takes to win Kona, yeah and he, and, he, and he knows how to win that's the most it's critical right i think that's when it comes to athletes is the, the one of the exciting things about Javi is, you know, you don't become a nine time world champion without knowing how to win races. Right. So, um, he's a, he is the quiet assassin. Absolutely. <laughs> of that, you know, knowing how to win Chelsea now knows how to win in Kona. Yeah. What do you change from here? Because she's given us all the gift of setting, setting the bar, right? And yeah, and, and honestly, I won't. I won't change much. Um, you know, I worked. I'm very fortunate to work with um, in the women's Olympic kayak program. So I work with them, an amazing. I mean, there I'm not a coach. I'm a physiologist, and I work closely with the head coach, a guy um, called Gordon Walker. But within that program, we've got a five-time Olympic gold medalist, a lady called Lisa Carrington, who's, um, you know, she's won. She's the most New Zealand's most decorated Olympian, five Olympic golds she's out out of this world but one thing that i've learned from working in that program is seeing her like five olympic gold medals so that's so she went london um rio and tokyo so you know 12 year period is how the training hasn't really changed that much you know it's just tiny little changes here and there we add in a few little bits of you know sprinkles on the cake and a bit of icing here and there but, you know, the fundamentals and the base and the ingredients are all the same. And that's exactly the approach I'll, I'll take with Chelsea is I'm not I'm definitely not going to reinvent the wheel. Um, it just be looking for small little incremental gains. Um, and that's and I think that would that would um, that would serve as well. And, you know, she's you know, we can keep the mental side of, you know, next she's going to be a whole different story. She's she's going to be favorite going in she's going to be the defending champion so if i can i think managing that side is going to be critical um making sure that she's ready for 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 that and not getting too overwhelmed um but she's dangerous right because she's got all the goods like yes. yeah. she's, she's like she's she is actually going to be very hard to beat and i think um it won't be i really believe that we'll see more than one win from chelsea i hope Absolutely. And I think one of her weapons as well is that gratitude, like we spoke of earlier. I think that is a weapon. And in that, uh, just curious, and I should have asked this earlier, but 
we talk about the importance of communication. How much time are you actually together with Chelsea? Because you're in New Zealand, she's in California. How important is that communication for the two of you? Do you get in contact every single day? Do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're 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 in touch every single day, yeah, via WhatsApp or something. Um, mainly via WhatsApp, we're we're in touch every day. I mean, I've only we've only met in person once. Oh my um, God, really? Went, That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. In, so we went in Pontevedra. We had a bit of a camp in Pontevedra where where Javi's based last year. So we, that was the first time we met in person. and went to the Collins Cup with her, and and so that was really good. She's hopefully coming out to New Zealand this summer um hopefully that's the plan at the moment um but um but yeah i mean we have we're very very open with the communication we communicate every day but and this is the reason why i need my, my, i'm very data heavy in the way i i coach because yes. i don't see her so if i don't see her and uh, and you can you can definitely tell a lot from just looking in an athlete's eyes and speaking to them and seeing how they walk onto the pool side for sure i i appreciate that but I mean, I don't have that privilege, so I need to, I need data to to help me help guide the way a, a bit more. Well, it's brilliant what you've achieved together. You obviously just are the perfect fit for the team, and I'm just so inspired by the work that you've done, Dan, the work that you continue to do. So, I want to thank you so much for giving me an hour of your time, which I know is so precious. <laughs> My pleasure. And um, I'm super excited to see both of you in Kona next year. I hope maybe you'll be there in person. I missed it this year, but I will be there next year with an athlete. And I can't wait to hopefully meet you in person. But continue the amazing work that you're doing. I'm going to be sending people your way for the indoor IQ, the help with you know diet and all of that, I think is so crucial. But you're just an uh, extraordinary human being. So thank you. No, thanks very much. You make me blush. But no, thanks for having me on. It's uh as I said at the start, like when I was, you know, I was a, um, when I was in, in the nineties, I was like 15. I was an absolute frother for, um, for people of, for people of your era, like, you know, Greg Bennett and the Chris McCormack and yourself and Loretta Harrop and Bob Lindquist, you know, and, um, I love those days. I, I used to wish to watch them on a VCR, you know, watch them over and over and over. So. No. Okay. Well, that is like the kindest thing. I mean, sometimes I think that people just forget, like, you know, I, I think a lot of people don't even know that I ever raced. And so that's a huge, huge. <laughs> no, no, definitely. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I was, uh, I, 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 I love that era, era of triathlon. They were the glory days because back at the early days, obviously I was in, I was British living in the UK and I was, and Spence, you know, before, even before your Spencer time, Spencer Smith. Spencer Smith, Simon Lessing. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, the, the, the glory days of, of all oh, the old smudger Spencer. So good. And, so. and you look back, I mean, you look at the bikes we were riding and. Yeah. You know, yeah. Well, even if, you, if, so when I was, I think I was maybe nine or 10, nine or 10, I went to watch the world championships in Manchester um, with my dad when Spencer Smith won and um you know from that day on, I was like whoa this guy he you know he's just the man but but if you look at the times he did they're just so slow <laughs> like it's like you know he did a 20 minute swim just under an hour on the bike and then like 33 34 minute run to win the world championships you know it's like incredible did he really win it with those splits 
It's something like that. Oh I wouldn't, my I wouldn't, God. I wouldn't quote kind me of, on that. That it wasn't, it wasn't, but it's not us to win, you know? Yeah, it's not crazy. It wasn't crazy fast, you know, but it's, um, but yeah, the bikes and the, the way things have evolved, but, um, no, no, it's good. And, and how, how fast do you think just, sorry, I'm adding another question on here. How fast do you think this sport's going to get? Let, let's just talk Ironman. How fast do you think it's going to get? Mm, I don't think, I don't think it's going to get much faster than, than what we what we saw this year with the men's field to be honest i think you know you're touching touching the limits there you know we're not going to see big drops like we saw this year i think it'll be a few minutes here and there now um because i think the norwegians have just really squeezed the fruit you know it's fully pressed <laughs> so there'll be just small little drips coming out now i think that you know maybe in the women's racing we can see i, I like to think we can see a sub 820 maybe in Kona one day that's possible yes and i want to see some under 250 runs you know more like in kona yeah yeah i I really i think chelsea's capable of a sub 250 yeah for sure just stop and walk at the aid stations for one yeah i think um it's so exciting and you know it's what keeps people like us going right to to know that there's so much more that humans are are capable of and mm-hmm. what's it going to take to to get that out of them? Mm-hmm. So, um, well, we're kindred souls, Dan. And thank you. This was so much fun. I could talk to you for like 10 hours, but I won't do that to you. So um, thank you, everyone, for listening in today. Um, any comments, any questions, uh, post them in the links. Dan, I'll be sending you the podcast to share if you'd like to share, but I know this is, people are going to love this and you've given everybody a great gift. So thank you. No, thanks for having me on. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for joining us on the Beck and Series show. Be brave, be you, shine on.